Yesterday, I had an opportunity to go with our family to Lake Gaston and spend some time on the water, doing some water sports. And one of the things I was able to do yesterday was wakeboard. I want to show you, uh, I want to show you a picture of me doing some wakeboarding. There I am. Uh, I'm going to give you just a second to be impressed. I mean, I'm just going to say, take a second to be impressed. Uh, edited that photo a little bit. Looks real good. So uh, before I got on the water, uh, the person driving the boat gave us all the info on how to wakeboard well, uh, how to sit down like you're in a seat, how to engage the core, how to hold the rope. Uh, it, it was an intense lesson on how to wakeboard well. And then I got in the water. Now remember, I had all the right information. I sat in my pew in that pontoon boat learning, just like you're learning right now. I had it all together. And then I got on the water. Now, that picture looks like I'm about to make it happen. Let me tell you the rest of the story. Here you go. Get ready for this. There it is. There it is. For those listening at home, I just flopped on the water pretty good. And then at the end of the video, I slapped my hand on the water because I was so frustrated because I thought I had it. But no. And I tried that over and over again, and that's just what kept happening. I never got up. The picture I showed you right at the beginning was the closest I came to getting up. Uh, that was it. But I'm telling you, I had all the information up here. I could have spouted it back to you. But when it came to actually experiencing how to wakeboard, I failed miserably. And it was going to take many, many times of doing that to finally get it. And we didn't have that much time yesterday. So that's what, that's what I got. This, this happens in the medical field. You don't train a nurse and then send her out onto a patient before he or she does clinicals. They got to go do their clinicals before they ever get to go live solo with a patient. You don't want a nurse working on you. You don't want him or her working on you, trying to put an IV in your arm if all they've done is read about putting an IV in from a textbook, right? You don't want that. You want your nurse to have done clinicals. You want your teachers to have done some student teaching at some point. You see, it's one thing to really gain or gather up all the information you can in a classroom. It's a whole other thing to go do clinicals. And today, my experience wakeboarding has a lot to do with our passage in Mark. We're going to read the passage again. Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6. We're going to pick up verse 7, and we're going to take a journey, take a journey through this passage and understand how nurses and wakeboarding have a lot to do with your life and my life as students of Jesus. We pick up verse 7, calling the twelve to him, he, that's Jesus, began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. 
And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. What comes right before this passage, right before we step into, the, into Jesus sending them two by two, is the experience of Jesus being rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. And right after that rejection, Mark puts the story of Jesus sending them two by two. So they have just had an experience of people uh, uh, disbelieving, rejecting Jesus. And now here he sends them out to go preach and cast out demons. It seems right on the surface this passage comes out of nowhere. That all of a sudden now they're being sent two by two. As if Jesus just had an epiphany that just maybe this would be a good idea. So let's go ahead and send them two by two. But Jesus had this day, he had verse 7, Mark chapter 6, verse 7, he had that day in his mind for many months before he ever got to that moment. This passage connects back with Mark chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Take a look, this is a passage we've already looked at back at the end of June. Jesus says this, we read this about Jesus, verse 14, Mark chapter 3. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that, they, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So months before, back in Mark chapter 3, Jesus appoints the 12. That's the moment he calls the 12 out and says, hey, you're going to be my special students. And he's going to have them appointed for some things, some, some key tasks. That is to be with him. So we see there he's gonna, they're going to be with him. They're going to just be around him. And they're going to go preach and they're going to have authority over impure spirits. These are the things that will be in front of them one day. And so they will begin this journey coming into his classroom right beside him, and then one day will be sent out. So Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, get connected to Mark chapter 6, verse 7, our passage today. Mark chapter 6 doesn't come out of nowhere. It is a day Jesus knew would come. He had appointed it the moment he chose those 12 to be his special students in his classroom. Now, when Jesus does this, there's some insights we need to pull from Mark chapter 3. We can see when he appoints the 12 that he is going to use apprenticeship. He's going to choose a small group of students to change the world. Now, let's summarize it this way. I just want to make sure. I want to pull a slide back from our sermon many weeks ago. Jesus chose to spread the message of his kingdom using apprentices, that's students, not religious crusades, not political parties, or big business. Jesus chooses a small group of students and says, you will come be with me. You will learn how to live my life right where you are, and then you will go and do likewise. And what will they go do? They will go begin spreading the kingdom just like a mustard seed. Remember, Mark chapter 3, he picks these three. He chooses to use a set of students to change the world. And then in Mark chapter 4, he actually uses an illustration to describe exactly what he's doing. So let's just bring back a refresher. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, let's go to that one. Verse 30 through 32. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe? Describe it. It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. 
That's what's happening back in Mark chapter 3. Jesus is picking this ragtag group of 12, what we might call a small mustard seed. And he will now plant himself in them so that one day this whole thing will grow to change the world. It will be nothing short of a revolution on the global stage. And it all starts by putting students alongside him. And Jesus is going to go then and begin to train them to do the things that he's doing. And what is Jesus doing? Let's take a look. Mark chapter 1, we see what Jesus was doing. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons. He's preaching, and he's driving out demons. Those are the kind of things he's doing as he goes into his public ministry. And then he calls his students to him, and he says, you will be with me. You'll enter my classroom. This will be like a mustard seed being planted in the ground. I'm going to put my life in your life. And then you're going to go do the things that I do. And remember, Mark chapter 3 tells him, I'm appointing you. I'm going to make you my special students so that you can one day go preach and, that you can, you will, and so that you will have authority over evil spirits. I want you to see that Mark, the author, is tying all the stories together to tell a greater narrative. Now, when, when Jesus appoints his students... He puts them alongside him, knowing one day they'll go preach and cast out demons. And along the way, they begin to watch Jesus do these things. And I just want to take a review of all the things that those disciples are now going to see Jesus do. Take a look. We're going to just do a quick run-through of where we've been. Between Mark chapter 3, verse 15, and Mark 6, 6, the disciples and these Numbers here to the side are the chapters we find this. They saw him accused of being the prince of darkness. They heard him preach and teach about the kingdom of God. They felt him calm a raging storm. They witnessed him cast out thousands of demons from one man. They experienced him heal a woman with chronic bleeding. They watched him raise a girl from the dead. And they observed his hometown reject him. These are all the things they've been seeing, watching, experiencing along the way as they came alongside him. Remember, in Mark chapter 3, one reason for calling the twelve to himself was so that they could be with him. And these are all the things they've experienced along the way. In chapter 3 through chapter 6, up to the point where we find them being sent two by two. And they have seen a lot in that time. They've heard a lot of great teaching. They have heard Jesus teach on things they'd never heard before. And they have seen the kingdom of darkness gathering strength along the way. You can imagine the intensity of the kingdom of darkness as Jesus went about preaching good news. As he took light into the world, the kingdom of darkness began to gather like storm clouds on the horizon. And so the the, the longer Jesus stays in his public ministry, the more intense the demonic activity becomes. We will see this the, more, the further we go in the Gospel of Mark. It will all culminate on the cross where evil will do its worst, worst to Jesus and where the sins of the world will be put on him. It will be the moment where all seems lost and yet Jesus will break darkness. He will destroy evil. But at this point in the story, we see the disciples watching evil growing in intensity. And now they're sent by two by two. And they're sent by two by two to go preach. To go take light into the world just like Jesus has taken light into the world. 
And they are also called to go into the world and confront the kingdom of darkness. They're going to do just what their teacher has done. But along the way, they're going to have a wakeboard experience. They're going to have that moment where they go from classroom information to the experience of doing your clinicals. It's one thing to watch Jesus cast out a thousand demons from one man. It's one thing to see Jesus calm a raging storm. It's one thing to listen to great teaching and get insider information about the kingdom of God. It's another thing to be sent two by two with only the clothes on your back and trust in the kingdom of God that Jesus has been talking about. That's a whole different picture. It's a whole different experience. Let me say it this way. It's one thing, let's go to this next slide. It's one thing for the disciples to hear about trusting God. It was another to literally rely on him for their daily bread. Just before they set out, I would imagine just before they, they had their hands in their circle and said break, and they went out, they all felt pretty good about themselves. They probably felt like they had it all together. They had heard some of the deepest teaching they'd ever heard, they had been next to one of the most powerful persons they've ever known. And they thought they had it all together. It was like me on a pontoon boat having all the right information about wakeboarding. I felt pretty good when I got in the water. I felt really good when I had the rope over top my wakeboard right before the boat went forward. And I imagine the disciples felt the exact same way. But Jesus knew that if his students would light a revolution across the world, that they would have to learn by experience to trust the resources of the kingdom of God. The disciples, for example, had heard deep teaching about trusting God. Let me give you an example. Mark, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, one of the great passages about trust. They heard this teaching before they were ever sent. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, 27, 33 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I imagine the disciples had a hearty amen at the end of that teaching. That feels good. Like just hearing it right now, I feel good. It's another thing then to be sent out with only the clothes on your back relying on God to give you what you will need come dinner time. It's a whole different experience. It's one thing to learn how to put an IV in an arm. It's another thing to have the needle up to a real arm with a scared face. A whole different picture. Jesus knew that if his disciples were to be part of changing the world with the light of the gospel, they would have to do clinicals. He would not send them out with textbook knowledge. 
they would have clinicals under their belt. And so he sends them out to learn that kind of trust. And as they go, the kingdom of darkness would continue to gather on the horizon. And they experienced rejection along the way, and they had to learn how to deal with it. But the whole time, they were learning to trust God in a new way. I think that's instructive for us. I think all of that has application for me and for you. So let's, take some, let's move this to some application. Because I think you and I have the same mission the disciples had in their day. We are called to go and train people to live like Jesus in everyday life. We give people information and then help them do their clinicals in the kingdom of God. That's what we do. When Jesus, when Jesus had his last word, gave his last word to his students, he said this. I'm using the message translation to get the sense of the text here. I think Eugene Peterson grabs it. Jesus says, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, using the message paraphrase, go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day by day, after day, right up to the end of the age. You go teach them how to, how to do the things I taught you to do. This is your call, and this would be my call. We are still called to go take light into our world. And I bet you, if I was a betting man, that you know people in your life that need a community of people around them that will show them unconditional love. Now, you can get that in a lot of places, maybe. I have never found a place like the church. So one way we do that here in this community is that we go invite people into a community of love. There's a lot of churches in this town. I'm not saying we got a monopoly on this. I just happen to be partial to you. I think we can invite people in to our church community. I would say go tell people about Jesus. But in a town like ours and in a country like the United States, most people have heard the name Jesus. When SNL, when Saturday Night Live can do skits around Christmas or Easter using the name of Jesus and getting some theological truth right, but spoof, albeit, most people know about Jesus. When Jimmy Fallon or Stephen Colbert can talk about Jesus in an open forum, most people know the name Jesus. But what most people are yearning for are to experience him in a loving community. Most people don't yet know what it means to surrender to him in a body of believers. Because when we are called into a family of light, you get everybody along with it. And that's what we're calling people to. So I, I'm going to challenge you to invite someone to come be among us. And if this church doesn't work for them, then help get them connected to another church. We do not have a monopoly on church in this community. But sometimes it just takes an invitation. And sometimes that matters to people. Because when you assume that someone else will tell them, you know what happens. They never get invited or never get told. 
And so invite someone. Invite someone in. And if you invite someone, would you please, please be ready to sit with them? That's not some super spiritual metaphor. I literally mean you would sit with them. Like where you currently are sitting. Sit with them. Make them feel welcome. And if you see someone new, just shake their hand and smile. Do not try to be their best friend. No one wants to be your best friend that quick. Just say hi. That is a concrete step to us inviting people in. And then, when you're at the grocery store in the workplace, the next time your coworker messes up or the cash register man or woman messes up your order, you could say something nice instead of something mean. And we don't always use mean words. Sometimes we use our face to speak. Come up with a way to bless them rather than curse them. These are tangible ways of taking the light of Jesus into our community. And sometimes you'll find people that don't really understand Jesus, although they know his name. What an opportunity to take the light into the world. But you have a responsibility to go like the disciples went, relying on the resources of the kingdom to take the name of Jesus, the good news of Christ, and his family with you into your community. That's a responsibility you have. And so we send the light. And we go with good news. But, be very careful. Be care- very, very careful. That you are not like a wakeboarder with all the right information, but have never actually wakeboarded. Be very careful that you're not a nurse who knows all the right rules from a textbook, but have never put an IV in an arm. Let me say it this way, this next slide. We can't train people to live a way of life that we've never experienced firsthand. Jesus made sure that before his students went out with the good news after his resurrection that they had already learned to rely on him for their daily bread, literally. They learned something about the kingdom they had to know before they could invite others into that way of life. And so my warning is that before you go take the light of the world to your community, your sphere of influence, make sure that you are doing your clinicals with Jesus. Make sure that you are learning by experience what it means to trust God. And I don't know what that's going to look like for you. I I just don't. There's just too many people in this room and too many different examples to come up with just one general example that's going to fit everyone. But I know that the temptation in our day is to sit in a pew, hear a sermon, and go out like everything's just fine. That's like a nurse studying her textbook and trying to put an IV in an arm. That's like me learning all the right information for wakeboarding and thinking I got it all under control and going evangelizing others to go do the same. What nurse do you want training other nurses who has never put an IV in an arm? That won't work. That just won't work. And so before you invite people into the kingdom, make sure 
that you are relying on the kingdom, the good news yourself. Which means there probably needs to be a moment where you acknowledge you've messed up. And you also know God still likes you. I get it. I could use love, and love's the right word, but sometimes you just need to hear, God likes you. He would follow you on Facebook. He would actually request to follow you on Instagram. He would add you on Snapchat. And I have no idea how TikTok works, but he would probably want you on that too. You get where I'm going? Jesus likes you. But if you've never realized how much you've, you've messed up and how bad you are at times, you probably need to go there with Jesus and let him get you to a place of repentance and so that he can change you from the inside. Let's take all this application then, however that's hitting you, because I don't know how this plays out right where you are, this broad application. I want to bring it to a next step that's very concrete. The next step to take this application to the ground is do the next right thing and trust God to help you. Another way to say this is to do the next right thing and then trust God to bail you out. One way that you can learn to trust the kingdom of God in real life, right where you are, so that you've had firsthand experience with the goodness and the resources of the kingdom of God is to do the next right thing you know you should do and then trust God to help you. For some of you with kids, that means that the next time your child who has the ability to leverage words inappropriately talks back to you, try, try to let go or to surrender the last word and let God take care of them. I'm still working on this one because I am convinced that although God created the world, he needs my help to discipline my teenagers. Now, in general, that is true. But sometimes, me having the last word actually makes everything a lot worse. And it compounds the problem. So maybe, maybe, when the Holy Spirit stirs me to just be quiet and let them go on their way and work out those emotions, I probably should just be quiet, which is the next right thing for me to do and trust God to work out how that's going to look. That's trusting God in a real moment. I know on a big scale, Tess and I both were convinced that God was calling us to have a third and a fourth child, and we had no idea how we were going to do it. And I would tell you, at some level, I have no idea how we are doing it because those children have come and now cost money. I don't know sometimes how we're doing it. But it was a concrete step we had to take to learn to trust the kingdom of God, and we have found him to be faithful. I know there are people, people that hold their money. They will not give generously. Because they believe that if they give generously, they won't have anything else left. Well, maybe your next step, if that's you, is you need to write a really big check to somebody and watch God take care of you in the aftermath. He'll bail you out. Some of you are so scared 
of forgiving someone who has hurt you. Because if you forgive them or you let go of that debt, you're not sure what's going to happen. Maybe they'll take advantage of you again. Maybe they'll hurt you again. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting, and it doesn't mean taking down your boundaries. But Jesus calls us to forgive and let go, to stop holding debts over people's heads. But that's really scary. If we're honest, we don't like to do that for multiple reasons. But maybe the next right thing for you to do is to write on a piece of paper, I forgive, put the name. That doesn't mean you're going to feel it. It doesn't mean that's actually going to change you that moment. But that might be the next right thing for you to do to move further into the kingdom of God and you trust God to take care of whatever comes after that. He'll bail you out. So I don't know what your next thing is, but I know because I'm human that all of us have a sense. And it's sometimes in small things and sometimes it's in really big things, but you have a sense of what the right thing to do is. And we also often don't do it because we're scared. So next time you have that sense, small or big, do that next right thing and then let God bail you out. You will experience the help of God in ways you would not if you held on and never did that right thing. Do not be like the disciples who thought they had it all together before they were sent out two by two. Don't be like Jason Yates, who thought he was a master wakeboarder before ever getting in the water. And don't be a nurse who's never done clinicals. If you're going to go light the world, if you and I are to live into our call, then we have to do our clinicals. And I'm saying, do the next right thing and watch God bail you out. And that will teach you. That will train you, and you'll be a lot more effective in lighting the world. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the example found in Scripture. Thank you for the wisdom, the brilliance of Jesus. And thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for bailing us out, teaching us firsthand that you are reliable, that we can actually count on you, that you'll be there for us. I pray for anyone in the room this morning or listening online that you would move them to a place where they will do clinicals with Jesus. Well, they will learn firsthand that your son is reliable and trustworthy. And then that we would take that trust and that confidence and we would go spread the good news that the kingdom of God is available. That all of our mess-ups all of our rebellion, all of our wickedness, and all of our evil, it has been taken care of. And you still like us. And you will never leave us or forsake us. Help us to not only know that, but to go share it with others. I pray that under the powerful name of the Anointed One, Jesus the Christ, and together we as his family say, Amen.